To mortals, and perhaps most creatures of the night, the city alone is a dangerous territory. Vampires, hunters, government agencies, mages, and their technocratic counterparts, and even worse things, stalk its streets and alleys. Eyes peeled for any signs of disturbance to the realm they have claimed as their own. But to the Garou and the Pharaoh at large, the physical city is only one half of the equation. Because just as everywhere else, the city is represented in the Umbra, and many times to win against their foes, the Garou will need to take the fight to these twisted spirits' realm. The city is home to countless lives being lived simultaneously. This makes it an exceptionally powerful presence in the Umbra, as these two realms affect each other. Spirits are drawn to the emotional turmoil and just pure life of the city, competing with the weaver's techno-spiritual servants who work and toil and build and build and build until all is as it should be. Indeed, the conflicts between the triad can become extreme in the penumbra of an urban area, as the Worm's Banes likewise will do their best to have their say in what happens, and as their mortal servants act out their influence in the real world, so too do they construct anchors of baneful power in the spiritual realm where they can multiply and grow in strength. Yet it is an undeniable factor that the weaver is at its strongest in the city. And while the worm gnaws away at its bars, it is still trapped by the weaver in its web, and thus it will forever be struggling beneath the surface, unable to destroy all that the weaver has built. Yet no city is an orderly beehive of absolute structure and control. There is violence, there is joy, there is chaos and emotions and life. Life happens in a city, and where life happens, uncontrollable, explosive life, so too does the Wild find its way inside. It is not as strong as the two others, but if the Wild did not exist in a city, it would eventually perish, unable to sustain all that had been built. Most rural Garou will scoff at this analogy, claiming that there is no wield in the city, and that if allowed to flourish there will be no wield anywhere. Perhaps they are right. But their reluctance to see what truly transpires within a city, especially in the penumbra of it, hinders them from seeing the truth. It is every bit as much a wilderness as the forests and swamps and jungles. Just different. But to enter the penumbra, of course the Guru must first pass through the gauntlet, the veil that separates the real world and the umbra. There is a perfectly good reason for this. As I have mentioned before, once upon a time the spirit world and the physical world were one, but they were separated. The gauntlet constructed to keep them apart. The one who made the gauntlet was the weaver, and it maintains it. It stands to reason then that in an urban environment, where the weaver is the strongest, so too would its grip over this threshold be the firmest. Many Garou will seek out the city's cairns should they need to step sideways, and that is the most sensible approach. But as we have established, city Garou tend to be very wary of threats to their cairns, and it is not unusual for outsiders seeking to claim the cairn as their own to try to sneak inside and strike at them from within, or at least learn of their defenses and resources for a future attack. Thus, any visiting Garou would be wise to subjugate themselves to whatever security measures are in place, and not stray from the instructions given to them by the Sept's elders. These days, thankfully, there are easier ways to approach a cairn from a safe distance that does not include howling. Generally by using phones, email, or even direct messaging, another tool often scoffed at by non-city Garou, 
or at least it used to be, but in the 2020s you'd be hard-pressed to find more than maybe the red talons eschewing the convenience of smartphones completely. Even when in a cairn in the city, passing through the gauntlet can be an ordeal, especially if one is unfamiliar with the city's workings. A particularly powerful cairn might have a gauntlet as weak as a forest clearing, but it is not for naught that the weaver rules over the urban landscape. It desires nothing more than to keep these two worlds separate. That being said, there are other areas in a city where the gauntlet may be weak. Larger parks, art museums, or perhaps even maternity wards are all places where life, creativity, and hope spark anew, and where the will may be strong enough to allow for a thinner gauntlet. Contrarywise, ICUs, inner-city slums, or sterile factory floors are nigh impenetrable by any but the most skilled thurges, and for a good reason. There may be exceptions, of course, in both directions. The ER of a hospital may be in such a constant state of chaotic flux that both the worm and the will thrives, tearing at the gauntlet of the weaver's spirits trying desperately to keep control. Wherever the worm in particular has taken root, such places are often highly dangerous. If the banes are powerful enough to oppose the local weaver spirits, then one can be sure that they are a dangerous threat even to werewolves. Hellholes, places of great corruption, may have a weaker gauntlet, but on the other hand are also highly dangerous for any garou to pass through, as they may find themselves the target of uncountable hungry banes looking to consume them. Thurges are precious commodity in the city, and skilled ones even more so. It takes a special kind of mentality to navigate the sterile and rigid world of the weaver's domains, and most young garou are urged to overlook whatever oddities in behavior their pax thurge may display, as this is a small price to pay for someone who is able to help others through the veil, and communicate with the sometimes frustratingly binary spirits they may encounter. This becomes even more prudent once you realize that not only does the weaver's presence strengthen the gauntlet, it also allows for the construction of some thoroughly insidious traps, traps that Garou may not be able to spot until it's too late. There are stories of careless werewolves stepping sideways only to be shredded into bits on entry, or dropped off over a steep fall, or even locked into a cement wall where they will slowly be converted to strengthen the foundation of the umbral reflection of a building under construction. And that's just the beginning. When one ventures into the near umbra in most any city, one will inevitably come upon the scar. There, servants of both the Wyrm and the Weaver force spirits into grueling labor in vast factories as far as the eyes can see. It is production for the sake of production, industry for no other purpose than to produce, with no care for sustainability or the welfare of its workers. Gnosis is wrung out of any creature forced into work here, and unlucky Garou may find themselves forced to do the biddings of uncaring spiritual oppressors until they are nothing but mere shadows of their former selves. The scar is not quite as influential as it once was, however, as more spiritual overlords of it have since ascended to the Cyber Realm or Malpheus, leaving their less motivated servants behind. That being said, this industrial hellscape is no less lethal for those forced to toil away there, and thus not even Garou survive it for very long. The Cyber Realm is a relatively new part of the Near Umbra, having its origins in the second half of the 20th century, but it has grown exponentially since then. 
It used to be a veritable dreamscape for the technology-minded glasswalkers, who could fetch whatever new high-tech toy or implant they wanted from there. But lately it has become much more heavily trafficked by less than amicable spirits who don't take too kindly to Garou disruption. The cyber realm is composed of three regions, the pit, the computer web, and the spider city. The pit is the garbage dump of the cyber realm, where old, out-of-date electronics spirits go to die, weaver spirits and banes snacking on them deep in the dark recesses of cyberspace. It is generally recommended that no Garou venture there unless they absolutely need to, and for a good reason. Anything lost to the pit will either be consumed or buried rather rapidly. And as technology continues to make leaps and bounds in its advances, so too does the amount of obsolete spirits who find their final resting place there grow in number. Spider City is essentially a three-dimensional spider web of suspended roadways, monorails, and of course skyscrapers as tall as the eye can see. At the bottom of it is Old Town, safe from the pit but for the grace of the weaver. The Old Town is the limit where banes are allowed to travel, as the Cyber Realm is one of the weaver's most prized umbral domains. Further up is Downtown, Uptown, and finally the Computer Web. There are countless stories about this realm shared between glasswalkers, but for all we know it's just something they cooked up after watching one too many dystopian science fiction movies. It is like a combination of Blade Runner, Johnny Mnemonic, and Shadowrun, a world of pure data and cybercrime. And above it all, the computer web, the cloud, the gathered data of billions of devices and servers and stationary computers. Retrieving anything from the computer web is close to impossible unless one finds a way to search it and narrow down what they are looking for. Every single bit and byte in existence can be found here, so undoubtedly sifting through it is like finding a specific needle in a needle stack inside of a needle factory. There are plenty of spirits in the Umbra who serve none of the triads specifically, but they tend to also be sleeping. As you no doubt remember, all matter in the Umbra is composed of spirits. The asphalt you walk on, the TV set showing static inside of an abandoned ultra-modern mall, even the lights flickering from streetlights are spirits. Yet they are not awake, for the weaver does not tolerate it. Often these spirits will be forced back to slumber if they are awakened, meant to fulfill a purpose quite similar to their material world's counterpart, thus there not being any need or want for their consciousness to complicate matters. Those spirits who are awake, however, are a different story. Luckily most of them are fairly straightforward and predictable. Naturally, a bane will do what a bane does. It is evil, a servant of the worm, and will do his best to ruin a guru's day. Weaver spirits tend to be very dedicated to its one set task, and as long as that is not interrupted, they tend to stay out of the way of the other spirits. Unless, of course, their job happens to be the destruction or otherwise botherment of them. And of course, we could not finish this presentation without once more talking of the city parents. To be brief, first of all, they are not weaver spirits. This must be established, for they are not servants of the weaver, but rather manifestations of their city and its people. Yet quite a few of them were something else before this. Water elementals, a messenger spirit, or perhaps even a human ancestor spirit, although this is of course exceedingly rare. They serve only their city, and thus only themselves, and tend to have little tolerance for Guru threatening it. Cities tend to grow, and thus most city parents wish for that. 
but their approach to this, and their temperaments, depend quite a lot on the general state of the city itself. The city parent of London, surely, must be of a different kind of temperament than the parent of Chicago, or Los Angeles, or Tokyo. Wise glasswalkers stay out of these spirits' ways as much as possible, because if you are living in a city, the worst thing you can do is to make it your enemy. The four grandchildren of Cain wait patiently for the time of judgment to arise. Snow, wise beyond his years and powerful in his compassion. Bambi Parsons, a leader with an unbreakable will. Procyon, who has shed his weaknesses and has thus been reborn as a god amongst Cain's angels. And Dugal, whose unquenchable thirst for blood is matched only by his strength of will and purpose. Their childhood the Methuselah control our every move through their timeless jihad. They are her satanic majesty Dani, whose mere presence chills the heart. Maximilian S. Hardcastle, a tutor and master of the jihad. Socrates Johnson, a masterful craftsman and teller of stories. Lauren Eason, a trustworthy ally and friend. And Alexander Kanehurst, inquisitive explorer of the world of darkness. On the council of the primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Zero Six, Ian Nichols, the Black Friar, Pilgrim, Geta Mathrox, the Autumn Alchemist, and Michelle Light, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week, the Council would also wish to thank the Elder Jun Pocholo for their continued loyalty and service to our cause, as well as the Ancile Remy Van Roy, who has remained a staunch supporter through times of peace and of trouble. Naturally, all our Elders, Ancile, and Neonates receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. The full moon rises, and Gaia's warriors strike out into the night. Tremble, servants of the Wyrm.